Well, the waiting is over. The moment has arrived. You don't often get to watch someone try to do something that's never been done before. Well, this could be the most famous Saturday run the world has ever seen. And it's but a few weeks ago, millions of people across the world did just that. We have liftoff. Apollo Kipchoge is up and away. Elliot Kipchoge, a 34-year-old runner from Kenya, attempted to become the first person to run the length of a marathon, 26.2 miles, in under two hours. Very easy to say, rather more difficult to achieve. When I say this has never been done before, I mean this has never been done before because it's right up against the limit of what humans thought was physically possible. Well, they are comfortably on the last lap here, the last loop of this uh, 9.6-kilometer loop, and uh, he's smiling again. I think we can say with some certainty there now he he's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's right going. Tell him to move away. Come on, he says. Come on, this is it. Shalina, And then in the last couple of minutes, he realizes he's going to make it. He realizes he has energies left. Let's keep an eye on the clock into the final 20 seconds. And he accelerates. He runs the last kilometer about 10 seconds faster than all the other kilometers and finishes in 159.40. 140, the unofficial oh, there's his wife. And then all hell breaks loose. Elliot Kipchoge storms into the history books in Vienna. 159.40, the unofficial time. If you watched the event, you may have noticed that Kipchoge's run didn't meet the standards of a conventional race. He wasn't competing against anyone. And he had a rotating pack of runners with him to block the wind and set the pace. But what you might have missed is what was on Kipchoge's feet. In the video, they're just a blur of white against the gray asphalt. But Elliot Kipchoge ran in Nike's Vaporflies, a high-tech line of shoes. Shoes that are helping elite athletes like him run faster and push the limits of what we think is humanly possible. But do the shoes give runners an unfair advantage? Should the shoes be banned from the sport? I'm Ariel Zimros. Today on Reset, strap on your kicks, nerds. We're about to get sporty. I wanted to know just how big of a deal this two-hour marathon thing was. So I turned to someone who knows. My name is Alex Hutchinson. I'm a, a science journalist. And I guess if we're getting into nitty gritty, I would describe myself as a sports science journalist or maybe even endurance sports science journalist. So it's, that's kind of a niche thing, but it's what I've spent the last 10 years or so doing. To understand why Kipchoge's run was such a huge deal, Alex took me back in time. Just a few years ago, running a marathon in two hours was unthinkable. Alex looked into it for an article he wrote for the magazine Runner's World in 2014. And my conclusion in that piece was that it was possible and it would happen sometime around 2075. 2075. Alex came up with that date based on how slowly the marathon record had fallen over the last few decades. But Nike didn't see things that way. Because in 2016, it announced an ambitious project. They were trying to engineer the circumstances to allow someone to run a sub-two-hour marathon, which at the time seemed like a pipe dream. First, everyone's reaction was, what are they talking about? At the time, the world record was 2.02.57, so almost three minutes away from two hours. And to suggest that they were going to take slice three minutes off, there had to be something special. There had to be something different. But then they revealed that 
They'd been working on a shoe that they thought would would help get them at least part of the way there. A, a, a shoe that had powers that hadn't been seen before. The project was called Breaking Two, as in breaking the two-hour marathon time. And initially, people in the running community saw it as an expensive publicity stunt. It ruffled a lot of feathers. This was the plan. So they selected three of the best runners in the world. They booked a Formula One track in northern Italy at a place called Monza, which had a loop that they felt would be optimal in terms of the you know, flatness, altitude, oxygen levels, uh, temperature, humidity, even the little details. You know, they didn't schedule a date for this race. They, they scheduled a launch window. This is like launching a rocket. Yeah, and they they made that analogy to to anyone who would listen. It was their it was their moonshot. That was the sort of internal language that they used at Nike to describe this. Uh, they wanted to sort of put everything they had as a company uh, in in terms of their innovation side and their their lab side to to making this the, a moonshot to remember. Nike's secret weapon to shave three minutes off the world record eventually got a name: the Vaporflies. Sounds fancy, right? It has fly in the name, there's some vapor. But at this point, before the Breaking 2 event, this still felt to Alex like a stunt. The truth is that every year for as long as I've been alive, every shoe company on the planet has announced that they've developed a shoe that will change the face of running. Um, And over time, you just learn to tune all that noise out because it's never true. It's all hype. But he flew to Italy anyway to see the run for himself. So this was in May 2017, uh, and, you know, as I said, three runners going for it. You see, he is the lone of the three. And before the halfway mark, two of the runners had already fallen off pace. And there was a real sense of, like, uh, emerging panic there, not, not least of which from me. I was like, man, I flew all the way to Italy for this. I'm exhausted, and now this thing is going to fizzle out. Uh, pathetically, without even coming close. These are the best runners in the world, and this pace has has gotten the best of, of both of them, and they've been training specifically for this moment for two years. But one guy, Elliot Kipchoge, who was the reigning Olympic champion, stuck with the pacemakers and stuck with the pacemakers and stayed on pace and got to, you know, about 20 miles into the race, and people started to, you know, nudge each other and say, oh my God, I think he's... He's going to do it. He's staying close. And he now can see the finish line, and you saw them pointing, encouraging him, everyone alongside, urging him on. And then at that point, he just subtly started to bleed a few seconds here and there, and he ended up drifting off and running two hours, zero minutes, and 25 seconds. So he was less than a, a second per mile off, but two and a half minutes faster than the world record at the time. The time on the clock was faster by a huge chunk than anyone had ever done before. And that was just baffling to see. It was really, uh, you know, you know, it, it changed my perceptions and I think a lot of other people's perceptions of how fast a person can move his or her legs over that distance. Kipchoge didn't make sub two, but he still ran the length of a marathon faster than any other human had before. And the run brought a lot of attention to the vaporflies. People started to think, these things might actually work. Nike commissioned a study that showed that runners who wear them are 4% more efficient. Meaning, all else being equal, they burn about 4% less energy when they wear them. The New York Times also weighed in. Using publicly available running data, 
it confirmed that amateur marathoners who use the shoes really do run a few percentage points faster. And then the results started to trickle out in the actual competitive sphere. Maybe it's worth going back to the very beginning, actually. I, I said that the Vaporfly was introduced in early 2017, but that's not the first time people wore it in competition. In fact, once Nike had these prototypes and they were pretty sure that they worked, they started giving out these disguised prototypes that were disguised to look like other shoes to other runners in early 2016 to some of their select sponsored athletes. And that was included at the U.S. Mar Olympic Marathon Trials, where two of the women who qualified for the Olympic Marathon team were wearing them. And then at the Olympics in Rio in 2016, the top three finishers in the men's marathon were all wearing these disguised prototypes of a shoe that no one had ever heard of. And the winner of the women's marathon was also wearing a disguised prototype of these shoes. Now, the runners who were wearing them were very, very good. So at that point, no one could sort of determine, well, did they win the, Mar the, the Olympics because they were wearing these shoes? Or did they win the Olympics because they were really good and Nike gave the shoes to people who were really good? But it left a very sour taste in the mouths of a lot of people, particularly those people who came forth in, at those races, saying, hey, there's these shoes that reputedly make people a couple of minutes faster, and they beat me by a minute? That, that's not fair. Right. And as time has gone on since then, people wearing those shoes have absolutely dominated major marathon races around the world. By the time Kipchoge started prepping for his second attempt at Sub 2, the Vaporflies were everywhere. But this time, Nike didn't organize the event. Instead, a British billionaire named Jim Ratcliffe put up the funds for the run. Sidebar here, Ratcliffe is a controversial character. He runs a chemical company that invests in oil and gas, and he's a big-time Brexit supporter. So some people think he funded Kipchoge's run to clean up his reputation. Anyway, the launch window was set for mid-October 2019. And instead of the isolated Italian racetrack that Nike had used... Kipchoge's course would take him through the crowd-lined streets of Vienna. There were a few other tweaks to help Kipchoge shave 30 seconds off his fastest time, but... The big thing is that he has a new pair of shoes. It's not just the, the Nike Vaporflies that he introduced at Breaking 2 two years ago. It's, it's a new prototype, which nobody really knows uh, much about. There'd been a few rumors, but nobody had seen the shoes until the day before the race, Nike finally put out a press release of him standing there with the shoes so that everyone could get a good look at them. And that was the first point at which people were like, whoa, those are those are really different. They look like moon boots and they've got these pods and they're 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 even bigger and thicker and stranger and crazier than the previous ones. Oh, and they are going berserk right in front of our commentary position here. We could just see his physio, his long-time physio. He's crying, uh, he, wiping tears away. He, he, is, he is a tough guy who hurts people for a living. Kipchoge runs 26.2 miles in under two hours. It's a big deal. But to me, it wasn't quite as special as the, the race two years earlier. To me, the most special moment of the whole broadcast, of the whole experience, was, you know, five minutes, ten minutes after the race finished, where they interviewed Elliot Kipchoge. You've done it. Yes. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. He's just uh, a, an unbelievably special individual. He sort of reminds me of the Dalai Lama or something like that. Just this, I mean, I know that sounds absolutely hyperbolic, but he has this very, very quiet charisma and self-confidence. His, his tagline that became the tagline of this event was, no human is limited. That's what he wanted to show. To tell people that uh, no human is limited. I say that out loud and I cringe because it sounds so cheesy and so trite and so cliched. But it somehow sounds sincere when he says it. I mean, what incredible words. Inspiration doesn't do it justice. How hard was that run? How
that wasn't the only major moment for marathoners that weekend. That's right. Uh, it, just when we thought the surprises for the weekend were over, uh, it turns out that Bridget Koske, uh, another runner from Kenya, shattered the women's marathon world record in Chicago at the Chicago Marathon. Well, on a weekend where we saw the first man in history run faster than two hours, now on a record-eligible course here in Chicago, Bridget Koske will defend her Chicago Marathon Championship and shatter the world record in the marathon. And in a way, this was more surprising than Kipchoge's run. Kipchoge, we kind of knew it was possible, but no one it was on no one's radar that anyone would break the women's record because it, Paula Radcliffe's world record had stood for 16 years and no one had come even close to it. It just seemed like a total freak of nature kind of record that would last for generations. And suddenly Bridget Koske broke it by more than a minute. And, and, you know, no prizes for guessing what shoes she was wearing. I'm assuming it was the vapor flies. No prize for you, but that's correct. Koske had planned to run in an older version of the vapor flies. But when she saw Kipchoge run sub two, she changed her shoes on the day of the race. Is that a crazy thing to switch your shoes before a race? It is not what... Uh, People like me recommend when writing columns in Runner's World, you're, you're always supposed to go go with the battle-tested routines and battle-tested equipment. But uh, I can't criticize the results, obviously. Alex quoted me this ridiculous statistic about the Vaporfly shoes, not including Kipchoge's sub to run. The five fastest men's marathons in history have all been run in the last 13 months, all by runners wearing Vaporflies. So there, it's not just all-time greats who are running fast— the top runners are running faster than anyone ever has before. And now the, the women's world record was the one record that hadn't fallen in the Vaporfly era, and now it has. So how do these shoes work? That's coming up after the break. We're back. So there's good evidence the shoes work, and the runners who use them are pushing the limits of what experts thought was possible. But not everyone's happy with that. First, because not every professional runner is sponsored by Nike. And even though the shoes are available to the general public, they're not cheap. They cost about $250. Then, on a philosophical level, who exactly is winning here? Is it runners or Nike? And do the shoes create an uneven playing field. Well, if we're going to dig into that, it helps to know how the shoes work, which is honestly a little unclear. I'm just looking at them right now, and the sole or the base of the shoe is totally frayed and coming off and kind of ripped. You know, I had I had a bloody toenail, and so there's the blood stains on the on the front in one race. Um, I wouldn't wear them to an event with Anna Wintour. That's Nick Thompson. He's the editor in chief of Wired magazine. He ran this year's Chicago Marathon in two hours and 34 minutes. And he owns a couple pairs of Vaporflies. I think I've run five marathons in them. Nick told us that when he put on his first pair of Vaporflies, they felt weird. I felt like I was putting on ice skates. They're very strange to walk in. Um, they don't feel great. That sensation comes from a carbon fiber plate that lines the sole of the runner's foot. The plate makes the shoes extra stiff. You can't bend them, right? You take the, 
front of the shoe, and you try to bend it back towards you, you can't do it because of the plate. Here's the crazy part. There's no clear consensus on what makes the shoe so special. Last August, Nike researchers presented a paper suggesting the plate acts like a lever, giving the runner more leverage when they push off the ground. But that's not the only thing that's different about the shoe. The shoe also features a special kind of extra-thick foam cushioning that's super light and resilient, helping runners conserve their energy. Alex Hutchinson again. It's, it, it gives you back on the order of 90% of the energy that you put in compared to, let's say, 80 or 85% from the previous best shoes. This new foam, which Nike calls Zoom X, is so light that you can have a thick layer without paying a penalty by having really heavy shoes. And by having a thick layer, it's like having a bigger battery in terms of this ability to store and return energy as it's squished and unsquishes. So it's some combination of the carbon fiber plate and the thick foam that makes runners more efficient. And Nike is the only company that's figured out the winning formula. But the question is, is the shoe design so much better that it's giving runners an unfair advantage? For Nick Thompson, the answer comes down to the exact source of that improvement. If they're improving performance because they're lighter and because there's really good foam, that strikes me as quite fair. If they're improving performance because of the carbon fiber plate, which is you know, increasing your rebound when you run on the road, that's more complicated. Nick isn't sure if he supports a ban on the shoes, but if there is one... I would like the ban to just be on the carbon fiber plate element of these shoes and other shoes. Alex doesn't agree, in part because the carbon fiber plate isn't actually a new thing in marathon shoes. A runner named Haley Gaber Selassie set a world record in the marathon in 2007 in an Adidas shoe that had a carbon fiber plate in it. So, and no one was upset about that. So what is it that we're upset about and what is it that we're banning? I think intuitively, to me certainly, it feels unfair and it feels that these shoes should be restricted. And I, and I, I actually, I, I think they should be. But it's not as simple as just saying these shoes have something in them that is cheating. These shoes are are. In, in in their fundamental construction are not different from shoes that have come before. They've just been optimized so well that they're so much better that they're skewing the, the levelness of the playing field. This isn't the first time new tech has altered a sport. In the 1990s, speed skaters started using a new kind of skate that made them faster. Some world records fell dramatically because of this, and eventually the new skates became the norm. The sport adapted. And in the 2000s, swimmers started using so-called sharkskin suits, which made them faster. The difference was that instead of settling back into a new equilibrium, the records kept being rewritten every year as the latest swimsuit came out. It became a technological arms race among swimsuit makers. And so the people who control swimming finally said, that's enough. And they, they, they didn't ban the suits, but they restricted what you were allowed to do with the high-tech swimsuits. There is a proposal Alex favors— that would set a maximum height for running shoes. That way, Nike couldn't just keep making taller and taller vapor flies with thicker and thicker foam. What Elliot Kipchoge did was amazing. As far as we know, no human on Earth can match him. He earned that on his own. But now there's a question of whether he could have run sub two without the vapor flies. Yeah, and I think it would be a shame if Kipchoge's performance was equated with just the shoes, that, you know, Kipchoge's shoes ran a sub-two-hour marathon. Because, again, 
that's one one ingredient. And you know, when you're at, when you're at the outer limits of human performance, a one percent improvement is huge, and it's very very helpful. But that other ninety nine percent is still by far the dominant contribution, and and so I think that's part of the reason it's been on the front pages is not just that it was sub two, but that, that it was Kipchoge, which is a guy who's a guy who's captured people's imaginations, and I think that should be exciting and inspiring inspiring to people independent of exactly what the you know resiliency of his shoe foam was regardless of how you feel about the shoes it's worth noting that this entire debate centers around the idea of fairness and the question of whether a piece of equipment can take away from a runner's athletic achievement Now, I'm not sure any sport played on an international level is ever actually fair. If we really wanted to figure out which athletes reign supreme, we put them all in one place, train them with the same coaches, using the same facilities and equipment, with all the same perks, and then maybe we'd have a real sense of who's on top. But that's never going to happen. And right now, there's a new shiny shoe on the block that's acting as an uncomfortable reminder that sponsorships and access to equipment really can and often do make a difference. So what do we do? If you ask Alex, some kind of regulation needs to come soon. If they don't act soon, it's going to be too late because the world records are going to keep dropping and then then they're going to be in a situation where if they try and restrict it, it's like, oh, well then all the times in the last five years or whatever have been run on quote-unquote illegal shoes. So the the clock is ticking if they're going to restrict this in any way. What do you think about the shoes personally? Would you ever buy a pair? Do you own one? Ha! I (laughs) busted. Uh, (laughs) I have a pair that I received to review from Runner's World. Uh, I received them two years ago. And because I'm conflicted about them, I've only worn them once. Really? You're not tempted to wear them more often. Uh, oh, I'm tempted. I'm tempted every day. <laughs> um, but I've I've resisted the urge. I, I'm not sure I will indefinitely. I may I may break them out next year for for a race or something like that. But you know, it really forces everyone to think carefully about what, what would it mean to me if I ran 30 seconds faster than last year in a shoe pair of shoes that's 30 seconds faster than the shoes I ran in last year. Is that is that a win or is that just treading water? And you know, I'm, I don't think it, I'm not. I, that may sound like it's a, the answer is simple, because but it's not because it is fun to run faster, even if it's the shoes that that do it. So I, I, I remain conflicted, and I have that nearly pristine pair that has been sitting on my uh, my basement shelf for two years now. That's it for today's episode of Reset. I'm Ariel Duemros, but you don't have to say it that way. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at ADRS. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Will Reed, Skylar Swenson, and Martha Daniel produced the show. Our engineer is Eric Gomez. Golda Arthur is our executive producer. Liz Kelly Nelson is the editorial director of Vox Podcasts. The mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme music. And special thanks to Art Chung for helping us out this week. Reset is produced in association with Stitcher. 
and we're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back on Tuesday. Later, nerds.